How can you not be excited to preach after that? Wow. There is a difference between reading Scripture and hearing Scripture flow out from someone's heart, that it's been processed and, and flown through their soul, filtered through their soul, and come back out. So thank you, Michelle, for blessing us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this psalm. And Lord, you're so amazing how you bring a specific word into our lives at just the right time. You've done that so many times for me. And I just pray you do it again, Lord. Bless your children. God, we come needy. We come hungry. God, we come weak and weary. Our faith is small at times. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us by your holy word today, that you would feed our souls, that we'd be satisfied as if on the finest of wheat. God, I pray for grace to explain your word today and for you to do a work in our hearts and lives. It's in Jesus' good and perfect and beautiful name I pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed how there is this almost instinctive desire to pray when you are traveling? Whenever somebody goes on a journey, they almost always request prayer. It's, it's just instinctive. Perhaps we just sense, we know that a journey can be fraught with dangers, with troubles. Will the car break down? Will we get a flat tire in the middle of nowhere? Will the passenger, will, will the flight get delayed? Will the passenger next to you on the airplane throw up all over your carry-on? That's not hypothetical. I had a friend that happened to. I just have to think, would I rather have my backpack vomited on or be in a plane crash? I'm going to have to think about that one. I don't, my, I don't have an answer yet. Journeys can be filled with danger. And as we come to Psalm 121 today, it's a prayer that is well suited for any journey we may undertake, and especially for the journey of our lives. The big picture is that we have now entered into a group of psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, that have as a superscription a song of ascents. Wouldn't you like to know what that means? So would I. And there is no consensus among Bible students. There's different theories and opinions out there. What I find the most uh, convincing is that this group of psalms was intended to be sung, to be prayed on the journey up to Jerusalem. You see, in the Old Covenant, there were different festivals that were celebrated in Jerusalem. And so faithful Israelites were required to journey uh, on foot up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, it's, it's proper to say up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was located on a mount. And so it was higher elevation. And so it seems fitting that there would be songs, there would be prayers for these pilgrims to pray on their journey up to Jerusalem. 
I find that convincing uh, in, in, in the effort to be fair and transparent. We can't say that with certainty. Um, but regardless, while these might be fitting for a journey up to Jerusalem, they certainly are fitting for our journey through life. And the big idea I see in Psalm 121 for us is this. Depend on God in the specifics of life. Depend on God in the specifics of life. Depend on God in the details of your life. Seems really simple, doesn't it? But it's hard, isn't it? We forget what God has done. We forget His Word. Fear and worry and doubt creep in. But this psalm calls us back to the beautiful childlike faith that Jesus commended to us. Let's dive in together. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Yahweh is your keeper. Yahweh is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I really do see a, a prayer here for our life's journey. He begins by saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Application number one, look to God for help. Look to God for help. Why does, what does he mean when he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills? There's several possibilities. We can't say for certain. Perhaps he's on the final leg of his journey up to Jerusalem. And he, and he sees the mountains before him that he still has to traverse. And he's tired, he's weary, his strength is, is failing. And he looks at the mountains and he says, how am I going to make it up these mountains? And he answers, the Lord. The Lord is my strength. Another possibility is that he looks at these mountains and he remembers the, the pagan beliefs of the, the cultures around him that believed that perhaps some of those gods dwelt, those false gods dwelt in the mountains, dwelt in the, in the hills. And he thought, where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from these false gods. It comes from my God. It comes from the God who made heaven and earth. And if God made these mountains that I see, he can certainly help me overcome them. Whatever the meaning is, the, the, the response is clear. He's looking to God to trust in. He's looking to God to be his help, the maker of heaven and earth. When you have a problem, where do you turn first? Do you have a settled confidence in your soul that God will be your helper all the days of your life? That confidence doesn't mean that we don't <clears throat> pray or that we don't uh, seek God earnestly in His Word. 
What it means is that such seeking, such praying is hopeful, that we're not going to pray in vain, we're not going to read scripture in vain, that God will in fact meet us as we seek him, that all who seek him will find him. When I read scripture, he he gives me the guidance and answers that I need. When I pray, he is going to supply what I need. Perhaps not what I want, but what I need. And often what I need, he knows better than I do what I need. Sometimes we don't even know what to ask for. But he knows perfectly. Lifting up your eyes and asking where our help comes from doesn't just apply to crisis moments in our life. It, this is an attitude that we should have for all of life. And I think how helpful as a, uh, as a prayer prompt Uh, living right here in Layton, because we constantly see the mountains before us. When Melissa and I first came out to Utah in view of a call, uh, it was our first time to Utah, and the thing that was just absolutely stunning was the mountains, uh, that they just dominate the landscape. And what a great prayer prompt that as we see those mountains, we ask ourselves, where is my help going to come from? It's going to come from God. It's going to come from God. The mountains can be something that calls us back to rely on the Lord. Women's ministry director and pastor's wife, Trish Donahue, asks, Do you pick up your Bible or your phone in the morning? That's an, that's an insightful question, isn't it? When you have a problem, who do you call? Where do you go? Is, it, is your first response to call a friend? Or to pray. I've shared with you, you met Terry, my uh, former campus minister, and when I was in college, um, when, when I had a problem or a question, I would, I would go talk to all these people, and I'd often call Terry. And I'd call him and I'd say, Terry, blah, 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 you know, and he'd be like, Charles, have you prayed about that? And I was like, no. Because <laughs> I would go to everybody else first, and then God last. And I had to learn that's the wrong order. You start with God. And then you go to others. The truth is, church, far too often, Christians, especially in the West, live like practical atheists. And, and, and that we would, we would shudder to be called a practical atheist. I don't think any of us would want that title if you're a true believer. But, but sometimes we act like practical atheists. Like we act like God is not in the equation. We have our problems, we have our issues, and it's up to us to fix them and solve them. And God is nowhere in that equation. We don't lift our eyes up and ask where our help comes from. Where is God in our thinking? Notice something else in this prayer. Not only does he express confidence in the Lord to help him, he remembers who God is. Application number two, stop and meditate on God's greatness. Stop and meditate on God's greatness. The Psalms have been doing a beautiful job of changing my prayer life, and I hope that they are doing that in yours as well. And here's another opportunity to grow in our prayer lives, to learn how to pray better. Uh, This is a wonderful practice. What the psalmist does here of meditating on who God is and reminding himself that God is the one who made heaven and earth, that's something that we can all incorporate into our prayer lives. 
he recalls, this is who God is, maker of heaven and earth. And, and don't just, just slow down on that phrase for a second. Don't just let that soak in for a minute, what he is saying here. And we have a far greater grasp of this, I think, today, thanks to our scientific advancements. We know that our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is approximately 100,000 light years across. From one side to the other, 100,000 light years. Uh, when we talk about distances in astronomy, we often measure with light years, and it's a, it's a distance. It's the amount of, it's the distance that light could cover in a year. Light travels at the astonishing speed of 670 million miles per hour. Uh, to be precise, 670,616,629 miles per hour. Now, imagine this, and this kind of helps put it into perspective, because when we start looking at the distances in outer space, they become incomprehensible quickly. Uh, but, but think about it this way. So if you live to be 100 years, and we have one of our church members who's 99, uh, so he's, uh, he, he's close to this. Imagine you live to be 100 years old. If you could travel at the speed of light your entire life, from the moment you pop out of your, your mother to the, to, for 100 years, you're traveling the speed of light, nonstop, no potty breaks, uh, no rest stops, <clears throat> No, no um, getting snacks on the way. 100 years, you travel the speed of light. And now, I know, engineers, that's not possible according to the Einstein's theory of relativity, so don't email me this week and correct me. I, this is a hypothetical. Uh, but if you could travel 100, mi- 100 years at, at light speed, you would have traversed a whopping 0.1% of the galaxy in 100 years. 0.1%. I mean, that's like, that's like you haven't even pulled out of, the, out of your cul-de-sac, you know, to put it that in, in, in other terms. 0.1% in 100 years of light speed travel. And that's just the Milky Way galaxy, right? There's hundreds of billions, maybe even trillions of galaxies in the universe, And so if you remember that God made all that, it will change how you pray. Maybe this is a model prayer for you to use in your circumstance. God Almighty, who stretched out the heavens, creating hundreds of billions of galaxies and stars beyond human measure, yet each one named and known to you, you who also created the intricacies of all life, who designed every plant and creature, you, God, who showed yourself faithful to deliver your people from slavery in Egypt with signs and wonders and even parted the Red Sea and then fed millions of people with bread from heaven for 40 years in the wilderness... Will you, God, maker of heaven and earth, who has declared repeatedly that you are faithful and can be trusted and has reassured our doubting hearts that your steadfast love endures forever and will never, ever end, could you help me with my dating relationship? Could you help me with my coworker? Could you help me with that kid at school who's bullying me? Could you help me with this conflict I'm having in my marriage? 
Could you help me in parenting my kids? Could you help me with this month's rent? When you grasp God as the maker of heaven and earth, doesn't it put your problems in a different perspective? It should. Do you pray this kind of desperate yet hopeful prayer? I think sometimes we don't. Because we're relying on ourselves. I could got this, God. I can fix it. And I'll just turn to you for whatever I can't make work. And our confession needs to be what Jesus himself taught us in John 15. I can do nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we should be praying far more desperate prayers as a church but also far more hopeful prayers as a church. So the psalmist has expressed that his help comes from God. Now the psalmist recounts what God will do for him on this journey. He says, he, who, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, you know, the pagans believed that their gods could sleep. And, and eat and have to do things. And, uh, but our God never sleeps nor, nor slumbers. Remember Elijah at the, when he's at Mount Carmel and he's, he's mocking the prophets of Baal. You know, they came up with this, this great contest. Okay, the real God will answer by fire. And, and the prophets of Baal go first and, and they're crying out and nothing happens. There's nothing, zero response. And, and Elijah starts mocking them. And I think there is a proper place in time to mock uh, in, in the walk of faith. Not in a cruel way, but in a way of, in, your merc- in, in a merciful way of saying, God, open, you know, open their eyes to see the futility of what you're doing, of what you're worshiping. And he mocks them. And he says, hey, maybe, he said, cry louder. Maybe your God's asleep and you got to wake him up. And the really good news for us is that we don't have to wake our God up. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. What does Psalm 46 say? Remember Psalm 46? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And so as we walk this journey of life, God will be with us. He won't slumber. He won't sleep. He is watching over his beloved children. And the psalmist continues to describe God's care for him. He says, Uh, Yahweh is your keeper, Yahweh is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. In the hot climate of Israel, shade would be a welcome relief. And he says, God is my shade. And when he refers to both the sun and the moon, I think he's, perhaps what he's getting at is, day and night, God has your back. God is watching over you. God is your shelter. He says, Yahweh will keep you from all evil. Notice how many times um, I think the, the New King James that uh, Michelle quoted used the word preserves, a, a, great, a great word as well. Uh, notice how, how many times it uses the word keep. Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. 
Application number three, trust God to bring you all the way home. Trust God to bring you all the way home. As I mentioned before, this prayer seems fitting not just for a specific journey, though you are certainly invited it to pray on your next family outing, but it's a prayer for all of life, the metaphor of the journey of life. And it conveys a confidence that God is going to get us all the way home. That evil will not ultimately overcome us. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't take this as a, oh, nothing bad will ever happen to me. Look at, look at the book of Job. That would maybe be a balancing. We have to take this within the context of all of Scripture. But what it means is that for the believer, God will keep us to the end. God knows how to bring his sons and daughters that he created for his glory. He knows how to bring them safely all the way home. This uh, is an opportunity. We, we want to be a church that is grounded in scriptural truth and doctrines of the Bible, and it seems like this is an opportune time to teach on an important doctrine. Uh, sometimes as Baptists, we call this eternal security. Uh, I first heard this in college. Thank you, Charles Stanley. Um, I had grown up in a tradition that I, I saw faith, I saw salvation as a gift. And like, look, I accepted it and I could one day change my mind and give it back. I could lose my salvation. There was no guarantee I was going to make it to heaven. Uh, I might be walking with Jesus now, but maybe at some point in the future I will abandon the faith and, and not make it to the end. And then I started having my challenge, uh, my thinking challenged, thank you to the Baptists. Uh, the Baptists started challenging my thinking on this. And I even remember as I was wrestling through this idea, I'm driving down the road and Charles Stanley's on the radio and he's talking about this doctrine. And he says, one more time for Charles. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, uh, it's kind of a God moment. Um, so uh, Charles Stanley liked to call this eternal security. I it's also called the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints. I actually prefer those two terms. I think they communicate a little bit more and are maybe less prone to a misunderstanding. Perseverance indicates that faith has to continue. Uh, this, this is clear in Scripture that you have to trust in Jesus to the end to be saved. Um, you cannot, the, the person who denies Christ, the person who walks away from Christ, will not be saved. That is clear in multiple texts. Um, I like the idea, the, I like the, the, uh, calling it the preservation of the saints. That, this, that implies this idea that, that there's a God who's faithful, who preserves, who protects, who keeps us from falling away to eternal uh, destruction. And what this doctrine means is that if somebody is truly saved, he or she cannot lose their salvation. Um, what it doesn't mean, as a corrective, it doesn't mean the person who once claimed to be a Christian but is now an atheist will go to heaven. Uh, again, Scripture makes it clear we must persevere to the end. The book of Hebrews repeats this theme over and over again. And so what this doctrine means is that the one who truly had saving faith to begin with will never deny Christ and will instead will trust Christ to the very end. True Christians are saved forever. They will never fall away from Christ and lose their salvation. And when I came to see that as a college student, it rocked my world. It, it, it almost felt like I was getting saved a second time. That it blew my mind to, to think that God so loved me 
that he had done everything necessary to save me and that he would keep me all the way to the very end, that he would be faithful. This doctrine of the perseverance, this preservation of Christians is all about God's ability to preserve and sustain us and our faith. It's all about him. And so in the words of Psalm 115, one, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. This doctrine grounded in scripture gives us confidence as believers that no matter what we go through, we won't deny Christ, that we will be brought safely all the way home. And I see this in, in multiple places in Scripture. Isaiah 46. We'll just look at a few briefly for time's sake. Isaiah 46. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, and I am he. And to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry and save. Notice the emphasis there. It's God who does this. It's God who preserves us. John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You are safe in the hands of King Jesus. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Some have called this the, the golden chain, that no one gets lost along the way. And finally, for I am sure, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are safe in his hands forever. And this doctrine will expose the motives of our hearts. Melissa and I were having, I don't know if we'll ever forget this, we were having a, uh, a witnessing opportunity, we were getting to share the gospel with a young man who did not believe this, who believed he had to work his way to heaven, and we explained to him that salvation is a free gift, that God gives us salvation simply as a gift, it's, it's by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for us. And his response was, man, if that's true, I would just go out and sin. If, I, if, 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 if God did it all for me and I didn't have to earn it, I would just go out and sin. And I thought, wow, that is so telling, isn't it? The deepest desire of your heart is to sin. That all your religious activity, that all your morality is a farce. You're doing it because you think you have to to get in. But it's not what your heart's desire. Because when I meditate on this truth, well, let me, let me tell you how it affects me. When I meditate on this truth that I am uh, secure in God, that Christ has paid it all, that Christ has done it all, and that God will preserve me, he has saved me, he is saving me, he will save me, it makes my heart joyful. It makes me want to love him more. 
It makes me want to obey him more. It makes me want to seek him harder. So I just want to pause for a moment and ask, where is your heart today? If God preserves his children all the way to the end, is that to you a license to sin or a cause to rejoice and obey him even more? Daniel Estes, who Bob and Karen actually know, Daniel Estes gives us this fitting conclusion. He says, Psalm 121 affirms that those who are in relationship with the Lord are safe in his care. Their mountains may be great, but their maker is greater. Their problems may be overwhelming, but his protection is ever available. Their hurts are inevitable, but his help is inexhaustible. As they lift their eyes and see the challenges before them, they need to remember and to be reminded by other believers that their help comes from the Lord, whose competence and compassion combine to provide the firm foundation for their faith. God, our God, is the maker of heaven and earth. And he's awesome. He is for us. And church, he will keep you to the very end. He will bring you safely all the way home. Let's pray. Father, this this psalm is all about you. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for how you give saving faith, how you sustain saving faith to the very end, that you've filled us with your spirit, that in this new covenant you have written your law on our hearts and our minds. You've given us new hearts. You've taken away hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh that want to obey you, that want to seek you. God, if you had not done this, we never would have sought you. We never would have loved you if you hadn't first loved us. God, I pray that you would encourage all your children on their journey today. And for those who maybe are in a hard place, a difficult place, they're in the middle of the desert on their journey, that you would feed their faith that you would strengthen their soul today to know that they are not on this journey alone. That you go before them and behind them, above and below them, to their left and to their right. You are there and you will sustain and you will bring us safely home to our everlasting rest. We praise you for your faithfulness, God. Let us be a church. Help us to be a people that are quick to cry out to you for help, that go to you first and not last, that go to you in all things, not just the hard things. May we be a people joyfully and humbly and desperately and confidently dependent upon you. In Jesus' name we pray.